I was such a sad, sad woman. Like, I feel really not embarrassed of who I was, but like, I did so many things that made me just this person who had the least confidence in the whole world. And I would sink so low just to try to make this person feel so low because they had such a hold on me. I would be mean or toxic just to survive and match his energy because he would just mm-hmm. throw all of these different things at me and I just feel like, all right, well, I guess I have to act this way because how, what, am I just going to be nice? It's not going to work for me. How did you finally get out of that relationship? Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. I'm your host, Coco, aka Cornelia Slunsky, and I'm so excited to have you here with me because this conversation was so good, and it was so raw, and it was so real, and it was so authentic, and I think you were absolutely enjoy this episode. I interviewed Kelly Yu, Kelly Yu Chima. She goes by Kelly Yu on social media. I love her content. She is just there to help others by sharing her stories about therapy, eating disorder, addiction, sobriety. This conversation was just so inspiring on so many levels. And I'm just excited for you to hear it. And I love Kelly and I love her content and I'm just so grateful she came on my podcast. Before we dive into the episode, as we have our little tradition here that I read, one of the reviews that I get from you guys on Apple or actually on Spotify, I can't get reviews. So if you're leaving a review, go to Apple Podcasts and leave a little review because it means so much to me and it helps the show grow. And the more we grow, the more, uh, the, the, in the better mood I am to actually uh, make more episodes for you guys. Okay. This comes from Samia or Samia. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. Literally my go-to podcast whenever I want to relax, get inspired, or just have a good laugh on some topics. I love the variety of topics that Coco discusses from what will Coco do, women empowerment, entrepreneurship, advice, and overall lifestyle motivation. I might be greedy, but I wish an episode would be released on the daily to keep me company on my daily runs. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you, my darling. And I actually, actually, I recognize your name from my DMs. I, I know you and I love you. And thank you for this amazing review. Your reviews mean so much. So if my podcast ever provided value or you love the episodes, please leave a five-star rating and review. And without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. Oh, Coco, thank you so much for having me. I always try to get your advice and I live off your advice. So I will try to be as helpful as possible on this episode. Oh, love to hear that. And please don't be shy to uh, share all of the all of the good <laughs> things you learned from your bougie best friend. But before we start about uh, the bougie bestie uh, advice and all that, please tell everybody who you are, where you're from, where you live, all the basics. So we kind of covered that before we start the combo. You got it. Um, My name is Kelly Uchima. I go by Kelly U just because I feel like it's easier. I always felt like it kind of rolled off the the tongue. And when I started on social media, I just did it as a side thing for fun. So right now it is 2023. I can't believe it. I started (laughs) my first social media postings on Instagram in 2013. So it's been Mm -hmm. 10 years. Um, I really turned to the internet for friendship and community. I think during those times, there wasn't a lot of that. And at that time, I was in college suffering with severe binge eating disorder. I didn't really understand any of that. Didn't understand feelings, never talked about them. Grew up in a Chinese and Japanese household. So I was really just on my own suffering through college, feeling very um, broken and alone and I didn't know what anxiety or depression was, and I began to document those feelings and also my journey to start therapy and realizing all this stuff. No one talks about this stuff when no one knows anything yet. So mm-hmm. I think the internet was my best friend, and I think now we just have a really cool community. I talk a lot about recovery, um, sobriety, learning how to rebuild your relationship with yourself, having healthier relationships, whether it's romantic or family or friends, going through traumatic things. But just how do you live a normal life after that? How do you find fulfillment and just find more of yourself? 
You mentioned you grew up in a Chinese um, Japanese household. Was that here mm -hmm. in the U.S. or abroad? Oh yeah, I uh, I grew up in Chicago. I was born mm -hmm. in Chinatown, Chicago. I lived in Chinatown with my Chinese grandmother until I was thirteen, and now I live in LA. But I only moved to LA about a year ago, so I was a city rat in Chicago my whole life. Went to public schools. Um, yeah. So let's talk about all that you mentioned in the beginning, your college mm. days and you were struggling with eating disorder. And like, how, how was that? How did it, how did it all start? First of all, how did you realize that you have a problem? I would just love to talk about this a little more. I always knew that something was wrong with me, not necessarily that I was struggling, right? There's a big difference mm -hmm. between, oh, I feel so bad for myself. I'm struggling. I had this mindset since I was 10 years old. I'm not attractive. I don't have a great body. Like these are all things I told myself as a 10 year old girl. Mm -hmm. And I need to change that about me, whether it be restriction, whether it be over exercising or just self-hatred. Those were my drugs. And I mentioned earlier that I love talking about sobriety because I was also a weed smoker for um, over 10 years. And a lot of my life has been hating myself, trying to run away from myself and finding little distractions along the way. But in college, I realized I was struggling because I was binge eating every night. Uh, food had always been a comfort for me. I'm sure many of you listening have things in your life that are a source of comfort, but you hate yourself so much for it. And the process of recovery is making a friendship with the things that you feel like are your weaknesses and finding kindness for them. And I, I can't lie, therapy is the only way I got there. Where do you think this all came from? You said you were 10 years old when you first started thinking so negatively about yourself. Focusing and fixating on body or food or inner struggles is often a reflection of what is going on at home. I think a lot of us mm -hmm. understand that now. Hey, what are our parents like? What was our household like? What is our relationship with our parents? If we have one or not, and what is the relationship between those parents? Love mm -hmm. my mom and dad individually, have accepted them for all the things that have happened, have very much addressed them heavily with the things that I perceive as their faults and their flaws, but there was a lot of chaos in the home. I witnessed a lot of narcissistic abuse. And if a lot of you don't know exactly what that is, narcissistic people, specifically people with narcissistic personality disorder, can be very good at manipulating people, making them feel like they don't matter. Narcissistic parents can often value you for certain things, but they are very selfish and you are very confused, basically. A lot of mm -hmm. childhood confusion is very linked to narcissistic parents. Um, a lot of times you'll just go, why can't they see how I feel? Why don't they care how I feel? Why is everything about them? And it it was a, all of my disordered behaviors was now I realize a way to just cope. How am I going to survive in this mm -hmm. house if I'm not just counting on my calories and, and starving and feeling miserable? I'm already miserable. So I'll just find my own misery, you know? So how do you distance yourself from a narcissistic family member? It doesn't have to be your parents. It can be maybe your sibling. Yeah. I was lucky enough that I grew up in a really, I would say, normal household. And mm -hmm. sometimes when I have people, you know, asking me those questions, I don't, I can't even, I don't yeah. know what to say. But I, I had narcissistic people in my life, so I know how yeah. it's easy to distance from them in a certain way. But your family, it's kind yeah. of different. So I would love to hear from oh. you. <laughs> it was crazy. Let me tell you, Coco. It <laughs> is really confusing because, first of all, I'm really, really happy for you that you grew up in a like a well-functioning home you. where you felt <laughs> safe and that love was abundant and available and unconditional. Like everyone deserves that. And we mm -hmm. can completely change our lives and create that in personal relationships. I'm really lucky now that I have a partner who is not a narcissist. We'll get to that later. He's not. <laughs> but past ones have been. Um, when it comes to setting boundaries with a parent, my journey to even realizing one of my parents was um, on the spectrum of having narcissistic personality disorder, it took years in therapy for us to understand 
that he was because we as people are wired to respect our parents, love our parents, and feel very loyal and connected and attached to them. So I remember when I was going to my first few therapy sessions, this therapist, her name is Melanie. I had her for seven years from college until I turned about 25. Um, There were a lot of times I couldn't afford therapy, so I'd have to like taper off, fall off, go to free Mm -hmm. support groups, but she helped me through some really bad times. I went up to her and I said, I just need you to fix my binge eating disorder. There's something wrong with Mm -hmm. me. I'm a failure. Fix it. I need to fix it. Mm -hmm. And then she would start to slowly ask me, well, what's your relationship with your mom like, your dad like? And I was like, why are we talking about this? This Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with them. It's me. I'm the problem. That's also Mm -hmm. a characteristic of people who have been in homes with abuse or neglect, things like that. When I was dating someone who I realized was a narcissist, obviously it took me about seven years to realize this. There was lots of cheating, manipulation, lying, putting me down, making me truly believe I would never be loved by anyone else. That's when we started unraveling, oh, it's your dad too. It it took years. Mm -hmm. Wow, I got goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, It's scary. And to your question of how do you separate from them, you don't want to even though you're so Mm -hmm. angry. And I'm sure many of us who have difficult relationships with our parents can say easily to our friends or even one of the parents or our siblings, I hate them. I wish they would just go away. But it's really hard to, to really tell them straight to their face. And I've had many difficult difficult conversations with that one parent um, saying, hey, I think you have narcissistic personality disorder. And that was really scary because a lot of parents whether they have issues or not, don't really want to face things because I think that's just normal and generational. And how did they react? Um, Lots of the same, which is denial, putting down your reality. So mm-hmm. growing up, I felt like I know the truth because I'm living it. And mm-hmm. people who want to be in control or set the tone, will still try to always make the reality what they want it to be. And my best advice for anyone who is struggling in those kinds of relationships is you must trust your gut. Whatever you're feeling is the truth. Mm-hmm. Almost always. Not always, I guess, but you have to stick to your guns and you have to support yourself and surround yourself with people who are living in that truth. Truth seekers, people living in reality. Mm-hmm. So basically, the way you were brought up and the relationships you had in your household kind of created this binge eating disorder, but you weren't really aware of that mm-hmm. until you went through so much therapy. So how did you talk to me about your binge eating disorder? How did that like look on a yeah. day-to-day basis? Well, when I was 10, I was anorexic. I didn't know any of this till my late 20s. You know, I grew up, we didn't have much internet Mm -hmm. or anything. You know this, Coco. You don't got to Google or figure out anything. (laughs) You're like, I should be ABC, thin. I should be blonde. I should be tall. Like, Mm -hmm. I just watched a lot of TV and read magazines. I am four foot 11 Asian. I don't look the way that a lot of people looked on on TV. So for me, Mm -hmm. I thought this was the right thing to do. And when I was in third grade, after school, there was this boy that I had the hugest crush on. I thought he was so cute. And he like came up to me and I was like, oh my God, he's going to come talk to me. And I, I swear to you, he said, wow, you've gotten like really chubby. And oh my I goodness. think about yourself in third grade. Oh my God. Just, you couldn't imagine something more painful. Yeah. Like you'll feel yeah. that in your chest. And I remember very confidently going home that day and saying i'm gonna stop eating because this Mm -hmm. boy that i like told me what i perceived as something not good so i should probably Mm -hmm. change that um Mm -hmm. after long periods of restriction with not eating and being miserable i really missed food like it's very classic for someone who goes through a lot of literal starvation to go into binge eating for years because you just do not have any relationship with your fullness or hunger cues. You don't understand satiety. You have no permission for yourself to eat. So the binging happened every single night for years, probably Mm -hmm. since I was 11 through college, especially in periods of anxiety and stress and exams. Every single night of my life, pretty much through those years, I would hide away at night, 
eat cookies, chips, bread, like not even good things. It was just, mm-hmm. I was hungry, but not physically mm-hmm. at that point. I think emotionally. Did people notice that around you? When I was 10, people definitely started to tell my parents, like mm-hmm. the kids in my class, the parents would talk to my parents, my friends, parents would say things, even my sister, my older sister, her name's Lauren, she's a year and a half older than me. She said, hey, like, I think something's going on with Kelly and they just classic parent denial and not out of not loving me. Just it's very terrifying, I think, to think something's wrong with your kid. And that it could be a reflection on you. So I was just forced to start eating normally. Yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off. And you like as a parent, when you hear that something is wrong with your child, kind of, you start blaming yourself and you think, what did I do to fail them? How did this happen to my child? What did I do? But then, I mean, it's a it's a circle. It all starts from, you know, what's going on at home. So you said you were brought in, you were brought up in Chicago and you moved to LA just recently, but there, that entire mm-hmm. time you were living in your family house or how, how, what was the situation there? Yeah, I lived in my family house until I turned 19, I think is when I went off to, well, how old are we when we go off to college? I don't Doesn't know. Really I'm matter. European, so it's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to, so I graduated from Walter Payton College Prep, which is in Chicago. It's like a, it's a competitive high school. And then I went to University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, which is two hours south from Chicago in the middle of nowhere, cornfields. I had never been in study? a place. I was an econ major and mm-hmm. I did academic research um, during my college years. And then for seven years after that, I worked in a research lab studying childhood development. And I was also doing content creation on the side. Obviously, I've been a full-time content creator Mm -hmm. since 2021. But all that time, I was just trying to have health insurance and a normal Mm -hmm. job. (laughs) I mean, therapy is not cheap. As you mentioned, sometimes when you didn't, you know, weren't able to afford it, you had to find other ways. So what would mm-hmm. you say is your what what would you say is your advice for somebody who maybe they're not even struggling with eating disorders they just want to yeah. find help from a therapist but they maybe they can't afford it. Oh, yeah. So in Chicago, which is a really big city, and I think this is probably an option in many other places now since back then in 2013 no one was really talking about mental health and didn't care to provide those services, but back then I googled like free binge eating support groups or free therapy groups or free groups, just groups to talk. Mm -hmm. And there was this place called the Awakening Center and it was 100% free, but they would ask for a $5 drop-in, a $5 (laughs) drop-in for a Mm -hmm. group session where everyone was able to share their struggles with their relationship with food or their body or just like their feelings. And it was really cool actually, because a lot of us feel like one-on-one therapy can be very intimidating or it's not of interest. I thought it was really cool to hear other people's stories because you really think you're the only person suffering in this world mm-hmm. when you are. And it it can make it so much worse. I was like, wow, some people have it worse than me. And I hate to say, but that makes you feel, feel kind of good sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so therapy honestly changed my life too. I, I talked yeah. about this in a few of my podcasts. I had a really bad relationship at some point and I my I think that just my identity was crushed because I identified myself with that relationship. And then once that relationship was over, I just didn't even know who I was. But honestly, everything happens for a reason. And I feel like if I didn't go through that experience, I wouldn't go through therapy and I wouldn't rebuild myself to be the person I am today. So I guess that's how it all, that's how it all is supposed to happen. But tell me. It's amazing. Like, I just want to say, thank God that happened because Mm -hmm. you would not be sitting here right now, preaching all the things you do, sharing all the things you've gone through and how to do it. Like I find, Mm -hmm. even though all those moments sucked for both of us, how lucky we have any Mm -hmm. life to live, to have lessons to share. Yeah. And the courage to share these stories, because a lot of people who did go through this, they, as you said, like they might feel alone or they think they're the only one, you know, they're going through this. But I want to talk more about Mm -hmm. your um, eating disorder. How did you finally just recover? I would say even up till two years ago, I'm 29 now. When I was 27, I think I finally took the fullest leap of like, 
I don't give a shit. I'm just going to do whatever I want. But Mm -hmm. there were so many phases. I was anorexic. Then I was a binge eater. Then I actually did pageants in Chicago and I suffered from bulimia. It's so Mm -hmm. very stereotypical and classic. Mm -hmm. And that's why that story repeats itself across so many different types of people, ages, like places, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter where it is. It's just this constant need to find something for me to fixate on, to fix in myself, to beat myself up over, to distract me from the real work that needed to be done, which was I've had so much trauma in my family with my relationship with my mom, my dad, my sister. I keep staying in this toxic relationship where there's so much manipulation and pain and codependence from their end, from my end, so much tolerance Mm -hmm. for things I can't even imagine letting someone say to me, do to me. Um, Mm -hmm. Those were the things I wasn't working on. So Mm -hmm. focusing on the eating disorder and saying I have so many problems was actually the bigger problem. It's so brave of you to share this. And I mean, posting now on your social media and you're helping so many people. And I'm sure a lot of people like are reaching out to you and they're Mm -hmm. sharing how your posts help them later on. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you had an addiction issue with marijuana. Mm -hmm. How did, would that, was that involved with the binge eating? Because I know usually, you know, when, when you get high, you want to eat everything that you have in the apartment. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You hit it right on the nail and a lot of people never make that association. You are completely right. Because I had already suffered from binge eating since I was 12. My first time getting high was when I was, I think, 17 in high school. You know how high school kids do. Mm -hmm. And I had the munchies and it felt like getting high, you're kind of numbed out. Nothing really matters. So there's a period of a couple hours where you don't have guilt for engaging in the Mm -hmm. behavior that you do not like. I do not Mm -hmm. like that I'm a binge eater. I eat till I'm basically blacking out when I'm not high. But when I'm high, Mm -hmm. I can do it and then fall asleep and not have to deal with any of the emotions and not have to work on regulating my emotions before reaching for extra, extra candy and cookies. That was Mm -hmm. why I liked doing it so much. And then I was in a relationship where we did that together. Not the binge eating part, but the the Mm -hmm. getting high together. Um, and that was obviously the toxic one because I'm sober now and my partner now doesn't do any of that, which there's nothing wrong with it. I obviously loved mm-hmm. it. I just loved it way too much. People always think mm-hmm. that sober people hate the substance when we were the ones who were overdoing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. How did you realize that your marijuana consumption was out of the ordinary? Because I'm sure a lot of people just like to smoke a joint every here and there and just relax. Mm -hmm. And if for those of you listening who never did it or you hate it so much, I'm sorry, we're talking about this right now. Oh my God. Um, You know, it's crazy. I never even imagined anyone would be annoyed by that. But you're right. Yeah, I have have people who um, will write in on my Wobo Coco do saying that my boyfriend smoking weed, I can't uh, stand that. And I don't want to be associated with that. Like what to do if I love him in here. So I get a lot of people. Wow. Yeah. You got sober Sally over here. So (laughs) go ahead. Yeah. So, so when does it, when does it, when did you realize it transferred from recreational kind of fun usage to an actual addiction? When I first started doing it, I would only be able to get it if someone else had it. So we'd like giggle together and hang out at like each other's houses really late at night. But I started just buying it myself, doing it myself. Every day, I couldn't wait to be done with work, leave my office and get high. It was it was like having a a very prioritized partner like that was a relationship Mm -hmm. for me. I mm-hmm. felt like if I ran out or didn't have it, I was going to lose my mind. But when mm-hmm. you're in that, you're like, well, yeah, I have to have it all the time. The biggest kicker was in 2020 when we were in the pandemic and everyone was miserable, obviously. So I was using it way, way more. And it was a week before my birthday. It was I think June 21st, 2020, I decided that night, I just got so fed up with how miserable I was and how much I was smoking. I said, I'm just quitting cold turkey. I obviously had considered it a few times before, but Mm -hmm. the biggest sign that the smoking was not good for me, and I knew that subconsciously, is I never talked about it with my therapist. And when I finally told her, hey, yesterday, last night, I decided to quit. She's like, I'm really proud of you because you've never even talked about it to me. So I know that I know there's something going on there. Wow. Like I told her everything. 
I would tell her. I, there was nothing I was afraid to tell her, but that I was. Why? Subconsciously, I knew I was addicted and I was not ready to give it up. And I think when you know there's something wrong with something, there's nothing wrong with talking about it. I knew. Mm -hmm. I just knew that it was not good and I would never want to work on it or change. So until I was ready mm -hmm. to change, I was like, I'm not involving anybody. I don't want anyone's opinions. And I was obviously mm -hmm. in a much less healthier place because that was my mindset on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. It's like being in a relationship with someone who is super mm -hmm. toxic and abusing you and you, mm -hmm. none of your friends know. It's because yeah. you don't, as soon as you start talking about it, it becomes real and it becomes your real problem. But until then, it was just a you problem, right? That's because right. nobody else really knew about it. So you actually just stopped cold turkey. It was just like, never again. I really wow. did because I know myself. How am I going to taper off? I mean, honestly, mm -hmm. like what, <laughs> what does that look like? I had like a whole baggie with like one hitters and weed and pens and like little oil cartridges. And I said, this is just going because there's no way that I'm going to make a change if I don't do it now. Um, I'm not great at doing that in a lot of other aspects of my life, but I think that was one of the final things that really launched me into being the person I am now. Like, I want to be grounded. I want to be present. I don't want to be numb. I don't want to hide. It was a lot of hiding. Not even hiding from others. I was hiding from myself. What do you get to do when you're high? You're numbed out. You're not thinking. You're not feeling. Mm -hmm. And that's all I wanted. I wanted to not feel. But that's got that's gotten me nowhere most of my life. Did you replace it with something else? I don't mean another addiction, but like, how did you, okay, you stopped today mm -hmm. and how do you, because it was such a huge part of your life. Yeah. How do you just. Crying. <laughs> like it was, I'm, I hate to be super dramatic, but when you are so used to a habit or a ritual, mm -hmm. right, I'd go home and do that. I remember yeah. the, the night, the second day after I said, I have no one. I lived alone already. I don't have anyone. But it was like the first time that I'd been aware of my surroundings and aware that I didn't have many fulfilling relationships, aware that I was not even spending time with myself. There was a lot of overwhelming feelings coming in that would never have even crossed my mind because I didn't have to address any of it. So a lot of it, a lot of my replacements, I would do more walks. I would talk to myself I started to journal I don't do any journaling now like I I hate to say that but I don't I don't I don't I'm not good at that but at that time it was very essential for me to find replacement activities lots of music I think just mm -hmm. laying in my bed and listening to music I don't know no I love it and I think that so many people today are not alone with themselves and they're constantly stimulated mm -hmm. by something else whether it's their partner their parents social media they're watching movies reading the news, playing with their dog, whatever it is, it's so important to just be alone with yourself and just think because if you're constantly stimulated by all these other, it can be, you know, people can give you valid advice and like you can consume all this great content. Like I love listening to podcasts. Whenever I have a second, I'm listening to somebody's podcast, but I'm putting conscious effort into just being alone with my thoughts because if I'm not alone with my thoughts, I'm not even going to know what I'm thinking. Because if I'm just listening to all these other people, I'm going to start taking their thoughts in. I'm going to think they're my thoughts. So that is really important, I guess, in general, just like be alone with yourself and know what you think and what you feel. So tell me if you have, what what are, what's your self-care ritual now? Do you have any routines that you like to do morning, evening? I am... Well, I, I just, I love that you said that because one thing is when I'm consuming so much content, it makes me feel like I'm doing something or being creative or being productive when I'm not doing anything. I'm watching someone be talented and mm -hmm. be awesome and be helpful. I'm not doing mm -hmm. it. <laughs> and that's what I want to mm -hmm. be. Um, my, mm -hmm. my biggest thing, which I don't really talk about on my social media, which I really want to, I think I'm very insecure about it actually movement and working out is such a big part of my life but I feel as if because I've labeled myself through how I've helped people or my content a lot of body positive recovery oriented that I still mm -hmm. have worries that it might trigger people but if I go a day without movement which I I really don't I always will do something that is mm -hmm. my self-care that is my 
investment in myself. I'm a very anxious mm-hmm. person. So if I don't get that out, I'm just like very, very angry the whole day. So you mean like and working you're into, out? And or? You're, yeah, working out. Like mm-hmm. I love HIIT workouts. I love weights. I love cardio. I love hikes. I love Pilates and hot yoga. Hot mm-hmm. yoga is my favorite thing in the whole entire world. If I could mm-hmm. do it every day, I would. It's expensive. <laughs> but it's you're funny, into actually, fitness too. Yeah, I was about to say this yeah. morning. So my fitness journey was all over the place. And I actually never really talked about this before. Yeah. When I was Get growing into up, it. I did <laughs> when I was growing up, I did every sport you can possibly imagine because I don't oh. know, it was just like a thing everybody was doing. I played field hockey randomly. I played basketball. Oh my god! Uh, gymnastics, but but not professionally. I, I was just like going for a few months, and I'm like, okay, whatever. What else is uh, next? But my brother was a professional gymnast, and he was like really good at it. And he stopped. On t- I don't know how old he was. He was he was in high school when he stopped, but he was like competing. He was a champion and all that. So like, I had that. I w- I always looked up to my brother, so I, I was training gymnastics because I wanted to be like him. Uh, but then when, and I was working out a little bit because some of my friends did, but I had, I didn't really love fitness. I didn't love working right. out. I didn't, I was just, I was naturally kind of skinny. So I was like, I don't really need mm-hmm. this. And you know, back then there wasn't any awareness about what moving your body actually does to your body and your mental health. Yeah. So when I tried work, I was living in New York for seven years and I think maybe I went to the gym I don't know, 30 times in those seven years. And when I moved to Miami, (laughs) yeah, I was not, I was like trying, but my New York life was more, I was in my twenties. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. And I was just, that's a, that's a different conversation, different podcast, (laughs) (laughs) my, my crazy twenties in New York city. But when I moved to Miami, I I saw all these people working out and everybody was so, you know, in, in shape. And I actually made a video and I said, I don't understand all these people working out uh, and all these endorphins they're talking about. I don't feel any endorphins. I only feel pain, right. no pleasure. Like, where is this coming from? But I just didn't know what I needed to do. And something that I personally dislike, I don't like going to group classes because honestly, sometimes mm. for me, it's difficult to understand because if I'm not regular yeah. at a class, I don't understand the movements. I don't understand what they're doing. I'm doing something wrong. And then I just get frustrated and I'm like, this is a waste of my time. I would just be better <laughs> off if I'm in my gym running on the treadmill. But I found workouts that work for me now. <laughs> and I really, really got into fitness probably... Last year, or maybe a year and a half ago, when I started dating my boyfriend and he was also into fitness and he had, it's another conversation, but like, you guys I, are kind of so hot. Me. You guys are so hot. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I love and it. this morning, actually, when I, I went to the gym in the morning and I just had a little me time. It was like an hour and a half that I went to my gym. I did, uh, I got my acai bowl and stuff. And I just literally told him this morning, my day is so much better when I give myself that hour and a half or some whatever time I give myself in the morning to just be, just take care of me. You know, it doesn't have to be a hit class every day. It doesn't have to be, a, a, you know, you can't, you don't have to be so extreme every single day, but you need to take care of yourself first. I can't stress that enough. And like yesterday I did not go to the gym and I felt like shit the entire day. And I had like, I had some stomach issues and that's actually what I also want to talk to you about about your IBS. Oh, let's get into it. I literally thought about you the entire day because Uh, I was like, you should have called me. (laughs) (laughs) I was not in any, uh, I I could not speak. I was literally in such Mm. bad shape, but I just ate something wrong and I was just in bed the entire day and my stomach was bothering me. So for those of, for those who are listening and they don't know anything about IBS, can you just explain what it is? Simple terms. And IBS stands for irritable bowel syndrome, right? Correct. Yeah. So IBS is like an all-encompassing random diagnosis a lot of doctors will throw on people when they just have bloating issues, cramping issues, gas issues, abdominal discomfort. They have, they tend to be 
uh, intolerant to certain foods, very sensitive to certain things, are either constipated, have diarrhea. It's basically just, hey, there's something wrong with you. I really mm-hmm. dug into this for the last 10 years of seeing many different gastroenterologists, which are doctors that specialize in the GI system, your gastro and gastrointestinal system. And my constipation got so severe. There was one time where I didn't poop for 10 days. I thought I was going to die. 10 days. Can you imagine what you feel like? And I was eating every day. Mm -hmm. I felt like I had a sickness. Like I felt Mm -hmm. like I couldn't move. And I had to get a colonic. I had no idea what that even was. That's how I felt yesterday. Oh, yeah, probably TMI for my listeners, but I did not poop. It's not. (laughs) I think a lot of people, when you are constipated, nothing matters Mm -hmm. and you feel horrible mentally, emotionally, physically. Your gut is so tied to your mental health and your brain and your mood. So I, after I had to get a colonic, the person who did it was like, oh my God. Like, how is it possible you have so much shit in you? Literally. Mm. So I went back to my gastroenterologist. I said, this is not normal. Please help me. I tried so many different medications that are supposed to help with gut motility and pooping. I've tried every, like, everything you can buy in the store, every medication. I ended up having to see a colorectal surgeon. And we did um, a surgery where I actually got Botox injections to my anal and rectal Mm. muscles. I heard though. Yeah, I heard that works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it didn't work, really. And you have to get it often. This shit is expensive, okay? People like cheap. us who are self-employed, we buy our own insurance. My insurance now mm-hmm. is about $400 a month, $405 a month, and you don't get any coverage. So mm-hmm. you're basically mm-hmm. just have that in case. So um, I got this surgery. Luckily, I still had my full-time job insurance. So it got covered, but now I don't. Um, after that, I basically just was like, it's really lifestyle that I have to change. And I freaking hated when any doctor said that because he'd be like, you're stressed, Mm -hmm. it's your lifestyle. And I've had to learn how to avoid certain foods, um, attach myself to more comfort foods, definitely reduce my stress, movement, but it's an everyday misery thing, just is what it is. Yeah. So, okay. So let's say you or just feeling bloated or you mm-hmm. how do you get diagnosed unless you go to a doctor or what is what is how does it feel you're just constantly constipated or just for me what's crazy is i will know that there's like a bunch of stool in my lower area like my colon but I do not have a feeling like I have to go to the restroom. That's That was the biggest mm-hmm. red flag for me. It was like, there's literally so much stuff in there. But I have no mm-hmm. urgency. You know how like a normal digestive system will be like, let's go. Let's get it out. I don't have that. So I've had to do okay. a lot of work. It's that mind-muscle connection. It is, it is crazy the things we go through. If you struggle with constipation or any of this stuff, it is so weird. Mm-hmm. A lot of my life, I've just thought, why can't I just be normal? And that was even pertaining to my eating disorder it was just like the same thread of like I just want to be normal wow no I honestly yesterday when I was in pain I literally was thinking about you and because I see you sharing um you know those I love that you're sharing that on your social and there's not many creators that I see that are sharing anything about IBS and I think the awareness is not where it's supposed to be so if somebody listening is maybe they think they're they have IBS or they need some help Mm -hmm. what would you say would be the first step the first step for me was being okay with accepting it and really taking the steps to slow down and say okay are there certain food triggers if there aren't there definitely are. Okay, we gotta we gotta mm-hmm. gotta get rid of those. What is your lifestyle really like? Are you super sedentary? Being just very honest with yourself. Are you moving mm-hmm. enough? Are you moving too much? And that's what's annoying. Sometimes if you're over exercising, also if you're mm-hmm. under eating, overeating, every body is different. You need to take note of exactly what you're doing. Be very honest with yourself and try to change those. And mm-hmm. I think. If you are struggling, you have definitely Googled it. I'm giving you a lot of credit because you deserve more credit. I know you're smart. You know things you could probably change. You can do it. Take that leap. Just freaking try it. You have to be more in tune with your body. And my best suggestion is you cannot skip your breakfast, whether you're constipated or not. You got to hydrate, eat, and then sit on that toilet and try to go. It doesn't always work, but we have to build these little routines. 
I still struggle mm-hmm. a lot with constipation. And what I take every day is Miralax. It's a very safe to take daily. This has been verified by my colorectal surgeon and gastroenterologists. It is a it is called an osmotic laxative. Basically, it's just this little powder that you put in water. It's tasteless. It helps draw liquid into your stool so that's easier to pass. I take it every single day at night before I go to bed. Every night. Is that the only medicine you're currently taking for for IBS? Yes. And I've taken so many. I've taken ones that give you crazy diarrhea. I've taken ones that are supposed to give you crazy diarrhea and they don't. For me, my system just needs consistency um, and it's constant work. Like I was so constipated when I took my boyfriend Stone to Laguna for his birthday last week. (laughs) I was miserable. I was so miserable, but I just pretended like I was having fun. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Stone, shout out to him. I love looking Mm. at you guys. You guys seem so happy. And the other day when I was preparing to have this conversation with you I actually took a screenshot of something let me just grab my phone oh my god what yeah no i wanted to the receipts I to... <laughs> yes yes <laughs> let me just find it uh no i loved something that you you wrote about him you said got this probably for his birthday yeah you said guys stone is so happy he's so hard to surprise but i really wanted him to have a nice birthday This is honestly insane because I have never wanted to surprise or treat somebody like this. Being in a healthy relationship has turned me from a traumatized, bitter woman to a happy girl in love. (laughs) I can cry right now. I'm actually super emotional. I don't know if my followers know that. Literally, like my eyes are tearing right now. You're so you're super empathetic because you're you're an empath. Oh, I love how you screenshot that. You're so sweet. (laughs) You have the best heart. No. Looks like I'm pooping so, in that photo. <laughs> I wish. Does. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about your love story. Yeah. How did you guys meet? Well, so we met. Uh, he's a very talented photographer, director. He actually now um, owns his own creative agency, and they're doing a lot of huge campaigns for, I can't say but you know, Mm -hmm. it's all confidential, Mm -hmm. but he's running a really amazing business now. But I started following him, I believe in like 2017. He was just a photographer. I don't, I didn't know who he was. I just liked his photos. You know, that time of Instagram where everything Mm -hmm. was like Mm -hmm. photographers, models. And I was like, he's Mm -hmm. really talented. He did campaigns for Forever 21. And I was like, wow, these are really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would like some of his photos. He didn't follow me back. And I don't know what possessed him to follow me back one time. And I guess he just did because I, he says he always makes fun of me to other people goes yeah I thought she was like a bot she would come to my profile and like like three pictures and I'm like yeah because I like your photos loser <laughs> and he was like yeah this bot with a blue check mark I'm like all right yeah. um yeah, yeah. So he just started to respond to my stories and it was nothing flirty or weird and I had been in on and off relationships during this time I never have flirted with a boy through my Instagram Coco I don't know mm-hmm. if you have or if that was ever if you were ever single while you were really prevalent on social media but I never did any of that I was yeah I had I had some DMs slide-ins in my single days I love that because I never did I mean I'd have like creepy old weird ones but like my content Mm -hmm. isn't like getting guys you know yeah. so but my content was so he, different before my content was not oh, true. today yeah, yeah. <laughs> he and I just started to respond to each other's stories I found him very talented and interesting I had no clue what he looked like I just liked his point of view of the world like I'd see him traveling a lot doing all this cool work doing all these cool shoots and I remember saying hey if you're ever in Chicago or if I'm ever in LA I'd love to shoot just because you know us as creators we sometimes need photos mm-hmm. and we would just talk more and more and we started to flirt a little bit, little bit, which was crazy. And I remember, I don't know if he's going to let me tell this, but I'm going to do it anyway. So <laughs> I did this brand deal through my Instagram stories for this website called Cheeks. And it's like a... Oh, I did um, that collab, collab too, yeah. I love Cheeks. They have the best videos. Like I'm not, they're not sponsoring this. They don't sponsor me anymore. (laughs) And I did like this poll to intro the stories to just get people excited to talk about like what's hot or not, like what's a turn on for them. And I put all these different polls and he responded to my story and I was like very taken back. He goes, where are your answers for this? And I was like, right. And I just snapped back 
I don't, I didn't think anything of it. I just always respond to people's DMs. I just love talking to people. I said, sad face. No one ever makes these polls for me. He created a new Instagram account, only added me to his close friends and put a, a series of polls in that story. Oh, <laughs> and it was and like, you did not meet. You didn't know each other. No, then? no. Wow. No. And that was also the first time I'd ever seen like really photos of him. Like he did selfie photos mm-hmm. with like poles on them and it was so cute and creative and flirty. I did not know what to do. So I didn't even respond to them or fill <laughs> up the like, polls ignoring till the, the polls. next day. I was, I was like, wow, that is like the cutest thing I've ever seen. Um, and then we just started talking more and more and he said, Hey, like, can I come to Chicago? What are you doing today? Like he was traveling a lot between jobs and he Mm -hmm. was going to be flying from, I believe, North Carolina back to Los Angeles. And I lived in Chicago Mm -hmm. at the time. He said, Hey, what are you doing today? And I was like, nothing. He's like, want to hang out? I'll fly in. He flew in like four hours later and took me on a date. That's a man. (laughs) That's why I respect him so much. I respect (laughs) him so much. I see him. I see like you share whatever great things he's doing. I like, please tell him high five from Coco. I will. And he's five and a half years younger than me. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I was terrified. I was like, you, that is the most like man thing I've ever seen. And he's so much younger than anyone I've ever even spoken to. And I just mm-hmm. had to take that in, like, people are what they do. What are their actions? Not what are they presenting? What are they trying to do? What are they actually mm-hmm. doing? What are they showing you? Are they going to put that effort in? Like the things you talk about all the time, Coco, it's like, it's really more simple than you really, you just, mm-hmm. you want it to be so much more complicated and it's just not. Life is actually very simple. It's just, we make it complicated <laughs> and we're trying to look yeah. into all these situations that are so meaningless and we're trying to find yeah. meaning from a guy watching your story. And when I get that question, mm-hmm. I answer it every single time because I can't believe that some people are <laughs> asking me that till this day. So how did you feel finally being in a healthy relationship? Because I feel like when you are, and I think that my my relationship with Wes right now, it's really healthy. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit unusual, honestly, in the beginning. I just didn't believe that this is like, because my previous relationships, not one, many of them, I think they were very toxic because I liked that up and down and I liked that dramatic feeling. And, you know, we all watch way too many Disney movies and, you know, romantic comedies where they're telling you that you need to fight for love and it has to be all this drama. But I think that true love Mm -hmm. is not that dramatic i mean i don't think i know you're so right i was i was very terrified because it was so different i was not used to someone being very affirming and present and really wanting to commit i was like there's no way because Mm -hmm. i was dating on and off the same person for about seven years and they would cheat we would break up i'd take them back I'd miss them. I was codependent. It was up and down. And then I get sick of him and I didn't want to be with him. It was constant. And trust, there was a lot. There was a lot that happened in that relationship that was so scary and horrible. And they had such mind control over me that I couldn't believe that someone would want to boost my self-esteem, that someone would want me to be independent and strong and happy and fulfilled with or without them. And um, I think the hardest part was expressing all of that to him because, Coco, you might understand this. Sometimes you don't want to re-traumatize people or yourself with your past because, okay, this is great. Mm-hmm. This is working. This is calm and normal. Can't I just be Mm -hmm. happy? But I realized that if he didn't know what had happened before, some of my fears or behaviors or hesitance or avoidance, Mm -hmm. he might not understand and I might need more support. Like even though it happened Mm -hmm. two to three years ago, I'm, I'm fucked up from that. Not a, and and healing with your partner and letting them into the truth of like what your life has been was really hard, but I needed that because how are they going to, if this is really going to last, how would they not know so much of you? I think you always need to share if you were in a traumatic situation, it doesn't even have to be a toxic relationship. Maybe you just went through something that really 
changed who you are, you have to share that with mm-hmm. your partner if you want to be with them long term because it's going to help. They're going to understand you better. And if it's such a huge part of your life, they I just think they have the right to know. But it is hard sometimes to bring that baggage. And I see myself even now that sometimes I... Like maybe he didn't even do anything wrong. And I'm just, mm-hmm. I don't know, this, my old self sometimes shows up and thank God that I, like, for example, whenever, I mean, when I, when we have a disagreement about something, I'm very dramatic. I mean, I'm sure you can probably yeah. <laughs> envision that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like go to the <laughs> yeah, other room and I'm like closing the door and like slamming the door. Me too. He's, like, Where? He's like, where are you going? He's like, why don't we just talk about this? He's like, everything's fine. Like, I love you. It's cool. Like, let's just talk about it. And I'm like, what? What? That's an option? <laughs> I never had that before. So, um, yeah, it takes time. And, um, but it like true love does not have to be so dramatic. And I don't think that you know slamming doors is not healthy. I mean, I, I relate to, I really, I relate to what you're saying so much. And the biggest sign Mm -hmm. of um, my healing was after I would do that, like if I say like, oh, I'm so mad, like I'm going to go away. I have the courage now to come back pretty quickly and say, oh, like, I'm sorry. Or like, oh, I want to talk because in my past relationships, it was all like a lot of mean meanness. I was Mm -hmm. such Mm -hmm. a different version of myself where I wanted them to feel bad about themselves. They Mm -hmm. were toxic. I was toxic. And it was almost like a Mm -hmm. game of who could get Mm -hmm. more out of the other person. I could never imagine speaking like that to anybody, let alone someone that I quote unquote love and is my quote unquote partner. Like bringing someone down, I've done it. Like I was the devil mm-hmm. herself too. It's crazy. How sometimes we hurt the people we love more than we would hurt a stranger on the street. Oh, it's yeah. fascinating. Yep. Why do we just take? I don't know. I don't. And I was. You just said like he was toxic and you were toxic. Do you mm-hmm. think that this toxicity, when it happens in a relationship, do you think one person is the trigger and then the other one just takes over those? Um, that kind of behavior or you think that Mm. is it one person who is the toxic one and then the other one just like plays along or both of them are kind of toxic i remember asking my therapist specifically this i said to her am i a narcissist and she started laughing because she said no one who's a narcissist would ever think or wonder or be like can i work on this and i said but i was horrible to him and she said but you did that in survival. Were you ever the instigator? Was it when he was cheating on you and you were crying on the floor, begging him not to go do it again and he would do it, then you'd be mean? Like there were so much, Coco, I'm telling you, I was such a sad, sad woman. Like I feel really not embarrassed of who I was, but like I did so many things that made me just the this person who had the least confidence in the whole world. And I would sink so low just to try to make this person feel so low because they had such a hold on me and Mm -hmm. I would be mean or toxic just to survive and match his energy because he would just Mm -hmm. throw all of these different things at me and I just feel like all right well I guess I have to act this way because how what am I just gonna be nice it's not gonna work for me how did you finally get out of that relationship one night Okay, we were living together and he was driving two hours to Chicago. So we we lived in Champaign, Illinois, in the middle of nowhere because I worked at the university and he worked at a hospital. I don't even know if he really had a job. I don't know. I don't know if he really had a job. You know, you're in those relationships where you lie to yourself so much. Did they have a job? Did they actually go to work? Where were they ever? I don't know, to be honest with you. So he would drive two hours to take random people on dates while still being in a relationship with me sleeping with me, living with me, paying rent with me. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew this and I would Mm -hmm. beg him to stop. And, and there was one night where I begged him and begged him and he lied and said he was going to go rock climbing or something. And of course I lied to myself and said, yeah, that's what he's going to do. So Mm -hmm. eventually I think a week later I said, I really think we should break up. I love you, but this is just really toxic. This is after a million times of having the same goddamn Mm -hmm. conversation. You know how that is. And he was so upset with me because 
Someone who is controlling and a cheater or manipulative doesn't want to lose you. You are mm-hmm. the one at home. How would, mm-hmm. how are they going to live their whole fabricated life, their chaotic life, if they don't have you also? They can't lose. He didn't want to lose. So mm-hmm. we, I told him this in the car. We are driving to go to the gym where he also worked part-time. So weird. I don't know. Or did and he? We get, I know. Or did he? I don't know what the hell he was doing. And we get back in the car and he's fiercely angry with me. He's like, oh, I can't believe you don't want to be with me. You're hurting my feelings. You're. It was just, it was a lot of this. Like I have hurt his feelings. I have ruined mm-hmm. his self-esteem. I've made him feel like less of a man. We get home and I say, I really want to just break up. He gets on the phone, Coco, and calls one of the people he's cheating on and laughs in my face, flirting with them on the phone. I'm shook. And I, I, I know, I, I looked at him and I snapped in that moment. I said, you have lost your mind. And I packed a bag, left my own apartment that had all my belongings. And I, I lived out of my car and out of Airbnbs for a week until he moved out and his mother helped him move him out. I did not talk to him. I blocked him from then on, never spoke to him again. And I asked his mother to help. And she didn't believe me. Everything I told her, she didn't believe me. All the things he did, she did not believe me. But she helped me get out. Well, thank God for her because they would usually Mm -hmm. never get out. Um, Wow. And then I took him to court. I took him to court did. to try Good. to get a restraining order and I lost and his mother was there who knew everything and she said, it's really sad that Kelly would do this because I, I loved her and they called me a woman with psychoses and I lost. So why did you lose? Um, there wasn't enough evidence of physical abuse in real time. Like, so oh. like he would leave things at my door. He would come knocking on my door a year later. When he was already dating this girl, another girl, he was already seeing when we were still living together. (laughs) So for me, like I was living in the real world at that time, but I was very traumatized. So if he came to me, it wasn't just, oh, okay, like I'm traumatized. So I'm more heightened to feel like this is a threat. And in their eyes, they're like, whatever, because an abusive Mm -hmm. person doesn't understand that you would be shook or afraid or stressed or you know, feeling in danger because they're the perpetrator. They There's not enough knowledge about how trauma affects the mind and the body. You know, there just isn't. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a real threat or not, it is. Like, you shouldn't be coming to my door a year later and dropping stuff off. He slid he a dropping note. Off? The first thing he did was a week after um, I asked him to move out, he scraped an envelope under my door my apartment door that said read this before you post anything online because I had a big social media following still at that time and he was Mm -hmm. so concerned about his image that that's what he wrote please don't post anything about what I've done or anything like this I'm so sorry da 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 you deserve better he said please don't post anything about this you're it's like he still he still doesn't get it Mm-hmm. And that's when I knew, like, um, but he dropped off on, like, folders I didn't need. Any logical person would know that I don't need any of that. A flash drive he taped to my door of, like, shit, <laughs> some of my old shit that I don't need. It's like, okay, wow. you literally have a girlfriend. We're good. Bye. Yeah. Insanity. Absolute insanity. I I, I, I I can talk about this for much, much longer, but it, this is this is just crazy. And I'm so happy that you just snapped at that moment and realized Thank that you. this is never going to change and that you mm-hmm. just, everybody listening to this, if you are going through something like this, whether it's this crazy or less crazy, or like if you feel these feelings that this is just not okay. And this is just not the way you're supposed to feel. And this is what I always say. Like if you're in a relationship and you're just so unhappy, is this what you want to feel to the rest of your Mm -hmm. life? Because things are not going to get much better. If you already try to talk, like you said, you you guys were together, what, seven years on and off. Mm -hmm. Like you Mm -hmm. try to talk about this for so many times. It did not happen once. It happened multiple times. So when you're in a relationship and things are happening and you're trying to fix it, 
and you, it's not it's just not fixable like some relationships right. just don't deserve to be saved and you don't have to keep on pushing and forcing whatever is going on and at the end of the day it's going to ruin who you are it's going to literally ruin your life my mom always yes. told me when i was growing up the most important thing is finding the right partner and she always mm. said love is going to fade you just need to find mm. somebody who respects you and who's going to be there for you and the respect the respect and i really love what you said i know that coco and i have shared a lot of very extreme experiences but i (laughs) in between then i had other people i dated or saw and just relationships that weren't it if it's not it it's not it Mm -hmm. when my mom would take me go shopping when i was a kid she said if it's not an ooh it's a no (laughs) and that really does apply to a lot of things don't settle it's like it's really you will build resentment for not having the things that you want so just you got to listen to your gut kelly this was so wonderful i was i'm 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 so happy that you came on my podcast and i absolutely love every minute of it and thank you for sharing all of your very personal stories and i hope this is going to help our listeners who might be going through the same thing or yeah, I don't know. I was about to be... I, usually I ask my guests to give me any last words, but I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what else I can... Yeah, thank you. This was great. <laughs> thank you. This was an amazing conversation. You're so easy to talk to. Y'all are so lucky you have Coco as your podcast host. Love you. <laughs> thank you, Kelly. I, I really appreciate it. First of all, I, lo- I, I love your content. I'm so... I, I love it. It's so positive. It's so inspiring. And it's so real. And that's why I think that you and I are vibing because it's very real. And, and I love people who are real. So please share your socials. Where can everybody follow you? I would love everybody to follow you. So please share. You can find me on Instagram at Kelly U. I'm also back on YouTube. You can look up Kelly mm-hmm. U. Uh, and that's, oh, I do have a podcast that's not active right now, but there's lots of really great episodes. And um, you can just look up Therapy Thursday with Kelly U. I share lessons I've learned in therapy about all the stuff we've talked about today. I'm going to link everything in the show notes. And uh, on that note, thank you everybody for listening. If you love this conversation, and I'm sure you did because I loved it. We're going to leave what kind of rating? A five-star rating and review and follow the show and follow Kelly. And I think that's it. (laughs) Thank you.